Welcome to the One Arm Minute, where we continue our hard target search for fun and facts through the minutes of the 1993 action classic, The Fugitive. I'm Roger. I'm Susan. And this is Minute 12 of The Fugitive. And we are very happy once again um, for the last time this week to be joined by Pete the Retailer from the Star Wars Minute. Um, How are you doing, Pete? I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me back. Uh, We're happy to have you back. We're going to finish out the week with some dramatic irony. Hmm. Um, And I I thought this was the minute where, um, where Helen dimes out her husband. Um, and, you know, really puts the noose around his neck. But actually, we're going to have to wait till Monday for that specific beat to happen. Um, but this is this. We're going to get some fun analog phone action in this minute. This is minute 12. Um, this minute starts with Helen in flashback dialing 911. Uh, and it ends with Richard climbing the stairs with amorous intent. And I would just have to say, maybe just to start this conversation, the the juxtaposition of essentially murder and foreplay in this minute mm-hmm. is is I think well done, but also ter- cr- terribly creepy. <laughs> yeah, jarring, creepy. Fill in your disturbing adjective here. Because the smile on Harrison's face is just like Ugh. yeah. <laughs> well, because yeah, all the all the little things. There's like the you know. The post-it with the lipstick on it and the thing, like each one, it's like you can see him kind of like he's planning for his romantic yeah. evening. Yeah. I do have a quick case. I have a quick question. Um so in the and this is something we didn't talk about in the previous minute because we were talking we were spending a lot of time talking about popcorn. <laughs> um I think I think the import one of the important things about the popcorn scene is that we get a we get a startled reaction, um, and it comes right after the bocce ball scene. And I think we are, I I assume we are led to believe that he there's something going on that gives Richard Kimball sort of an eerie feeling that something is not quite right. Now, if that happens ahead of time, or feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. That's always the sense I get from watching that minute. But then in this minute, he seems very. Uh, unaware that Helen is desperately fighting for life. Am I overreading the previous minute? Is that well, not? He he seems to hear something when he's opening the fridge freezer. He seems to yeah. hear something because he turns to look. That's what I think too. But then he smiles, so it's like, oh, she's here. Yep. Yeah. Uh, right, okay. More <laughs> like confirmation that she's home. Yeah. Versus, I don't. I don't. I didn't. I didn't get that there was anything kind of. Uh, any kind of suspicion in his in his brain at that point. Okay. Well, all right. That that sounds fine to me. All of these little romantic gestures are really nice. So, uh, for you know those of us who are who are in relationships, I feel like I should be taking notes off this minute. And like I've I don't know that I've ever pulled off this sort of like suave come upstairs and <laughs> you know what's waiting for you. Like Helen is doing for Richard again, pointing back to what we said, Susan. That obviously their relationship is very strong. And it's one of those places where, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That crossed my mind. I was like, oh, all right, maybe. Uh, and then I was like, I live with two kids and two in laws. And like, if I left something like that out, it would get like drawn on or knocked off a tail. Like, I've cats, did they have a cat too? So I don't know how the cat didn't knock the wine glass, but then post it off the shelf or anything. But <laughs> daddy, daddy, yeah. why did why did mommy kiss this index card? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It would have a drawing of a transformer on it and possibly have, you know, dirt or or hot glue in it or something by this yeah son and daughter of the retailer would have made a mess of things well that's why pete you know that uh, as 
once children and relatives enter the equation, you have to pick your spots. Yeah. Maybe that's that's what this this whole thing is. There you go. Yeah. That's, maybe there are other, uh, like, we need to see their calendar scheduling, you know, like, they were like, oh, yeah, this night in particular, I'm going to be home with nothing going on that night. I mean, it's really sweet. Like, in a previous, so in a previous minute when they were driving home and... Uh, uh, Richard Kimball gets called in for an emergency surgical procedure, which is why he's coming back late all by himself. Helen says, you know, I'll wait up for you. And like, wow, you know, I, 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 that's after Harrison feels up her face. But that's, that's true as well. But I'm just saying like, there, there is, I'll wait up for you, meaning, Hey, I'll make sure I'm awake so that, you know, you can poke me and I'll roll over and say goodnight to you before I go to bed. And then there is this whole exciting uh, boudoir situation. So I just say, like, kudos to you, Helen. You did not deserve to have happened what happened to you in these minutes. Well, she wouldn't in any case. But yeah, no matter what. She did, but... <laughs> okay, fair. Right. But still. Um, I Now, see, you just put me in a word. So were they... I'm going to go back. I, the, the popcorn detective work wasn't enough for me. Now I, I want to think about, were they listening to a game on the radio or something when, when they were driving home and he got called away? Because when he comes I, in and he says, who won the game? Is that a reference I, to something that we've... It's not a reference to anything we've seen before, but it, it, it does, it does again, reinforce that um, uh, that they Helen is sporty. They both are fans of sports. They, they both golf. We know that from the scene at the fundraiser earlier in the evening. And she's a better golfer than he is. He's a better, she's a better golfer than he is. She can fix she can fix his slice. She's an amateur she's an amateur golf instructor. Yeah. What now? Because uh, I'm I'm wanna I wanna do the research. You know, one of my favorite things of the last from the internet from the past couple of years. Remember the you know the um somebody went and and took me to the ice cube song, Today was a good day, and they went through all the things that happened and then kind of correlated, okay, well the album came out here. Uh, the Lakers beat the Supersonics, so the Sonics left in this year, so it's got to be one of these. And they went through the schedule and figured out what, at what point between the, you know, the recording of the album and the release of the album, at some point, like, there had to be this day. And they went and figured out that it was, like, you know, I think it's January 21st, 1991, or something like that, where it's like, okay, this was the good day. I, but And and I love that there's, like, YouTube, uh, uh, TikTok people who will go, they'll, you know, if there's a game on in the background of a, of a movie, they'll they'll be able to pinpoint what game that was and who won. And so now I'm like, well, if he was wondering who won the game, if they're in Chicago, we can figure out, because shortly during the prosecution, he, they give the date of the crime so we can figure out, okay, well, what Chicago team was played on that day and who did win the game? This is... In which sport, though? Well, that's what we have to figure out. I mean, it's probably going to be either basketball or hockey. Is it is it winter? What what day is this? Well, I can't. I'm glad you brought that up, but now I'm I'm embarrassed to say I didn't actually record what the date is. Is it this minute that we hear the date? Yeah, I'm trying to look it up. It's funny. Yeah. You should, so while you're looking that up, I'll vamp for a little bit because it, it's funny you should bring that up because in my previous podcast when I was doing the Speed Movie Minute, I did a similar deep dive because I was obsessed with what football game Dennis Hopper felt like he had to watch while he was watching his bus bomb drive around Los Angeles for 45 minutes. And I think I because of like the fact that it was right before Halloween, I could figure out that it was probably like a an Atlanta Falcons, L.A. Rams game or something crazy like like that uh have i vamped enough do we figure out what the date no, is I, that we hear? can't even get to the that's no, wait, a transcripts there we go didn't fact uh, don't trust no. any transcripts that you see from this movie because the script are not reliable that's the problem well we know it's prior to saint patrick's day we do 
because the he, one of the one of the times he escapes uh, Deputy Gerard is uh, he escapes during the the uh, Chicago parade. Right. So, so yeah, I think this is fall, which is January twentieth. Oh, January. Yeah, I thought it was winter. January or February. I was pretty sure. So it's probably the the Bulls or the Blackhawks. Yeah, one or the other. The Chicago teams. I'm guessing if it. Well, we don't know who won. If if we knew that the team Chicago team had won, I would guess the Bulls, but we don't know. And also, what year are we assuming this takes place? Ninety two, ninety three. I think so. I think we're led to believe that this is a contemporary. This movie is contemporaneous with with real time. Right. Uh now that now it's gonna drive me. I, I might have to send you guys an email later to be like, it was. Stay just- tuned, listeners. We'll yeah. update you. <laughs> How is it you don't watch Columbo? <laughs> right i know the other guys want to it. <laughs> can we talk a little bit about our judge that we see in this yeah. movie for the first yes. time so this is this is the the, the great andy romano um he unlike some of our previous actors that we've talked about this week he is a very well-traveled actor he's got over a hundred credits in the imdb and i feel like i most closely recognize him and i'm almost sure that he came to this movie um from andrew davis's previous entry which is under siege um because in under siege he plays the boat captain that gets unexpectedly gunned down by gary Busey in drag oh right yes at the party yeah well surprisingly he has one two three four five credits between under siege and the fugitive Mm. He's a busy working man. Pete, did you, did you recognize Andy Romano? And if so, from what? I, I did. And I was like, wait a minute. Who is that? Who is that? And then I had to go look it up. And I'm like, oh, of course, it's Pepper Leach. It's the pitching coach from Major League. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, oh, that I love uh, love Major League more than I should. Me too. Especially at the- That's not true. You can, <laughs> you can love that movie as much as you want. So he's the guy that teaches. He's the guy. Is he the guy that figures out that Charlie Sheen can't see straight? No, that's the head coach who figures it out. No, it's the head okay, coach who right. figures it out in the, when, they, when he's yelling at him in the office. He throws the ball and hits the uh, the the locker. Yeah, I've clearly seen this movie a lot. Throws the ball and hits the locker, and he's just like, "Wow, you hit that because that's really close." He's so he writes down on his notepad and he holds it up, and then they go and get him glasses. Uh, he's the one. Andy Romano is the one. He's got the kind of flip out glasses, kind of the yeah notable. I'm pretty sure he's the guy who. Yeah, I guess pretty sure he's the guy who also says, like, get a load of this bleeping guy. <laughs> he, no, I do he, want to go back and watch Major League again. I haven't seen it in a while. I you've, I think you've motivated me to go back and watch. I also unapologetically love Major League 3 hmm. with uh, with Scott Bakula. I'm sure. <laughs> My fun fact that I always mention whenever someone brings up Major League is, like, Wesley Snipes is many things, but... A great athlete, he's not. Um, and so, you know that scene, there's a scene where he's trying to make the team, but he oversleeps. And he realizes that, like, oh, my God. And he, like, this is the scene, I think, where they, like, they prank him by, like, picking up his bed and, like, putting it out. Um, it's not a on... prank. They, they they take him out of, like, he wasn't invited to camp. So they remove him from camp by taking his bunk off the top of the bunk beds and putting it outside. <laughs> and so, so then, outside in the bed in his jammies. <laughs> so, so when they are having, you know, 40 yard um, conditioning tests, 
um he just sort of jumps in and he like magically like out sprints two guys from coming from behind well let's just say that in order for that it's not an accident that that film that scene is filmed in slow motion and in order to get wesley snipes to win those other guys had to run real slow well the other guys were clearly not in the best shape <laughs> where you know just like lumbering guys were running and then he was doing the whole straight-handed kind of like you know one of these things and yeah it's a great movie were... i did not know until this very moment that there was an under siege 2 oh really mm-hmm. you mean you you've never seen under siege 2 colon dark territory i have not <laughs> no <laughs> wow it's funny it... because the poster looks exactly like under siege 1 because the plot have... pete have you seen either under siege or its sequel i have not no. Okay, well, Under Siege is actually a pretty great movie. Okay. It's got a fantastic starring performance by Tommy Lee Jones as the villain. Um, and he does a great so he does a great job in that movie. Under Siege 2, so Susan, Under Siege 2 is like, let's put Casey Ryback on a Ryback on a train and see what happens. Oh dear. It's it's got all the plot, but none of the charm. Yeah. Or Tommy Lee Jones. It's not good. <laughs> it's not <laughs> um i have a note here in my notes which is that man these are some amazingly attentive jurors <laughs> and based on what i have heard from all of anybody that i know that's had to do jury duty or something like that like there's no way in a typical trial that even half of these people would be paying attention mm. we're checking their phones today if they're allowed to have their phones with them, no. but probably wouldn't. They're probably not. But even still, like these people are enraptured by this nine one one call. Well, my note is that so many huge nineties glasses, mm. like cover half of your face, kind of eyeglass. Well, that's how they could pay attention. I mean, it's so magnified. Everything's everything's like so close. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it was in the defense's best interest to just preemptively disqualify all the people that had. No glasses. Yeah. Mm. I do have one fact about a background extra. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, sitting behind uh, oh, yeah. Richard Kimball is the mother of David Jansen. Uh, David Jansen is the actor who played Richard Kimball in the One-Armed Man, uh, the, the Fugitive TV show. Mm. So his, his mother, um, her name is Bernice, and she's sitting behind, uh, and she's, she's an older woman who's talking to another old lady. Mm. Sad. It's really sad that David Jansen died in 1980 of a heart attack at the age of 48. That is rough. Mm-hmm. Oh. Paul and I had Paul Bearers at his funeral. Okay, mm-hmm. you ready for this? Rod Stewart, Gregory Peck, Gene Kelly, Richard Harris, Milton Berle, and the husbands of Linda Evans and Suzanne Clichette. Wow, is this like a 12 foot long coffin? That's a lot of Paul Bearers. A lot of Paul Bearers. It's a lot of famous Paul Bearers, and yeah. a lot of them make sense. Until you get to Rod Stewart. <laughs> oh, I when you said the guy who from the TV show, I'm I in my head I was like, oh, they spun this off into a TV show. Still back in the you know Ferris Bueller and, and, and I was like, oh, they made a TV show out of this. For that, but no. it's on for three seasons. Three seasons of chasing the you know yeah. Richard Kimball across the United States. You can get a lot for a little back in those days. Oh yeah, I picture it sort of being like. The Incredible Hulk, but with less Hulk. Sometimes great shows have short runs, right? I mean, how many seasons was TOS? Three. 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 But Seventy. The whole six. time they were worried that they were going to get canceled. And... Well, they were sort of canceled after season yeah. two. Yeah. They're in the middle letter writing campaign and then season three, but you have no money, so it's terrible. Yeah. And then you end with Turnabout Intruder? Oh, no. No, yeah. 
No, this is bad news. Should we <laughs> should we talk a little bit about this phone call? Yeah, I I this I we were just talking before we started. I was like, in my notes, I wrote down the word wherewithal. What did I mean by that? And this was what I meant by that. That I was like impressed with her capabilities, despite just being bludgeoned and shot. And she can kind of not only dial the numbers for nine one one, which which I feel like if you have a phone with programmed things, you, one of the things you often have is a is a, an emergency button. You have a nine one one kind of button. Um, I know my mom once got a visit from the police because a, a stuffed animal fell on the phone and accidentally dialed, hit the 911 button, and then they had to come by because... Well, I was at a hotel room once, and I was trying to call one of my colleagues, and it you, you used to have to dial 9 before the number for the room, unless they were in a four-digit room, and I didn't, I didn't remember that. So their room was like 11-something. So I dialed 9, and then 1, and then 1, and then suddenly I'm talking to... Like a, 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 an operator, and I panicked and hung up. And then the front desk oh, called, Oh no, are you okay? <laughs> wow. That was embarrassing. You were doing your own sort of Seal Award impersonation. A little bit. Is that I wasn't accusing anyone of murder. Yeah. Uh, so, Pete, I'm going to put playing lawn bowling. Maybe was there, <laughs> was there a heavy object involved? I always have a lawn bowl nearby. I am going to push back a little bit, Pete, and just say, and we'll, t- we'll talk more about this on Monday's episode, but like, like this is this is this is what convicts her husband falsely of her murder like this whole scene and the fact that she well, we'll talk more about that on Monday but um i mean i guess i guess it's a good idea for her to call 911 at this point i mean what else can you do but like oh man like helen why did you have to why did you have to bring up your husband's name in this phone call like this is not helpful why well, yeah the actual her end of the call is not as a, I'm just impressed with her wherewithal to be able to dial and kind of at least start to respond to questions, communicate at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm impressed by Celia Ward's acting in this and her voice acting in this. Mm-hmm. I think it's not easy to pull off. I'm almost dead and I'm trying to place a 911 call on the phone. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it could go really hammy there and it could be, you know, not believable, but she's just kind of very understated but effective. Well, you had mentioned as well, Pete, on Wednesday's minute that uh, it must be hard to hear all the details of your, you know, wife being killed. But to hear her on the phone, to have to sit and listen, they probably yeah. played it more than once to the dying words of your wife. Yeah. Must be excruciating. And that's uh, why we have a crying Harrison Ford in this minute. Yeah. Well, we we have crying Harrison Ford, but then we cut to bemused Harrison Ford, um, okay. which in the flashback, yeah. right? So I have a fashion question. This uh, this this lovely garment that he finds waiting for him on the banister—that's not the dress that she was wearing at the benefit. Are we assuming that this is like her slip? I thought it was a scarf. Oh, a scarf. That's interesting. Definitely something flowy like that. Yeah, it's satiny and. No, but I thought it was a scarf. I don't remember seeing her wearing a scarf in the car, but maybe we didn't get to see her whole outfit. I mean, it is January. Maybe she had to, like, bundle on a little bit more. I was kind of perusing one of the shooting scripts earlier until I gave up because it was just so bafflingly different from the actual movie that I just got confused. I know there was supposed a scene... Um, in the in the shooting script, uh, well, one of the scripts, maybe not the shooting script, of her uh, at home with like a kind of a pashmina or something around her shoulders. So I don't know if this is like a carryover from that or or what it is, or he's just finds something slinky on the stairs. Could have been there for days. You even know? Yeah, <laughs> could be dirty laundry. <laughs> it's just been, it'll be like, oh look, 
I don't remember if she wore that last Tuesday. All I know is if I dangled something over the banister like that, my cat would have it down in a second. And they have a cat. They do. Yeah, that cat really didn't Here's a wear glasses, didn't pull yeah. a scarf. It's not pulling its weight. Yeah. Here's a question. What do we think their cat is called? Ooh, that is a good question. Let's see. He's a vascular surgeon. She comes from money. I bet it's something very innocuous and cute, like... Fluffy. Mittens. <laughs> it's not a kind of a mittens cat, though. It's a tortoiseshell. Tortoiseshell. Okay. Yeah. Um, they, do you think they would go kind of like punny? Or maybe it's just, you know, would they would they have gotten it from a shelter? Would it already have a name? Right. Or and maybe it's just like Fred. Or it's got like some grand, like, Roman name. Like Felicus Caddis or something like that. Right. Maybe if, if, if this movie is part of Han Solo's deranged uh, carbonite fever dream. Maybe they named the cat Indiana. Except it's a girl cat. But I suppose Indiana could be a girl's name. It is? How do you know this? Because all torties are girls. What? Huh. Wait a minute. All torties, all calico. Hold on. I didn't have a lot of notes. Susan, you you are amazing at bringing up facts that just bring me to a standstill. What? Yeah, all torties are girls. All calicos are girls. Orange cats are mostly boys, but can also be girls. Is this like a Jurassic Park? We want to make sure they don't reproduce type situation? That's right. That's exactly how that works. <laughs> no, but like, okay, okay. Well, jokes aside, like why? Some genetic thing. Dang. Okay. So I did not know that, but I do. I have a, a orange cat and it is a boy cat. Okay. Yeah, I think like I think something like eighty percent of of orange cats, like true orange cats, are boys, and like you know, there's some girls, but uh, tortoises and calicos, all girls. Hmm. Okay, so this week on Feline Minute, <laughs> if, if this cat and another male cat have kittens, and some yes. of those kittens are boys, you're saying that they're just gonna look like their father. Well. Here's the interesting thing about torties, because I mean, my mom was in rescue for ten years and is, is and is uh, was a specialist on mother cats and kittens. We we like she had like 187 adoptions or something like that. So we've got a lot of cats and uh, a tortie shell because it has orange, black, and white in it can have any kind of kitten. Oh wow! Yeah, because you have a tortie who has like an orange tabby, and then has a black and white cat, and then has another tortie, and like they're all over the place. Are you Where, you know, are you trying to punk me as someone who doesn't know much about cats? Like, I feel like I'm going to repeat this tomorrow at the lunch table, and someone's going to say, "Oh, Roger, some you know, someone tried to play the the cat." Yeah, Ten years of experience in kittens. Like we have a tabby, like a tabby mother, for example, like a brown, brown and black, regular, plain Jane tabby, who had seven kittens who are all brown tabbies. But you have a calico or a tortoiseshell, and they will have like vastly different kittens. Also. Fun fact, one mother cat can have multiple fathers for their litter because they're in heat for several days. Oh. So they might right. be with several toms and have kittens from different fathers. And this week, uh, cats per minute. And <laughs> so much about cats. Look, yeah. Uh, uh, let me also, I've just been handed an update. Um, the, the, neither the, the Bulls nor the Blackhawks played a game on January 20th of 1992 or three. Really? So I don't know what, I'm not sure what, maybe it was just a game that she was, it was a well, little thing. I mean, it was a minor league. There are a lot of people who are fans of teams that are not in their hometown. 
Oh, that's true. That's true. Oh. Perhaps, perhaps Richard and Helen are college sweethearts, and they were just, you know, interested in watching who Northwestern played that night, um, or some other school in wherever. Right. That's a possibility too. Gosh, you may never know. Here, I, Susan. Here, I thought before you brought up the subject of cat impregnation, now, <laughs> I, I thought we were going to have to fill. There's an episode title. I just want to <laughs> just want to give either of you, if you want to, an opportunity to opine about the art on their walls. Um, and I'll just kick off this conversation by saying I'm very excited to see a picture of Merida from the Pixar movie. Uh, brave on the wall other than that i can't really tell what any of the rest of these pictures are about hold on hold on merida is on the wall yeah go look right at 25, the end I... 25 years before the movie was <laughs> look, look at the end of this minute and i'm i mean it's a joke obviously but look look at there's one picture of this like fat um other than that there's some crazy art here did any of you have any notes about this art or any thought about their interior decorating taste it's eclectic i would call it I think they are very much people who like I put on the wall what I like, not necessarily for a theme. I don't. Uh, I'm I'm having a problem uh, playing it back right now, but I'm seeing. I, I I think it's the opposite. I think it's more just kind of like whatever is handy, mm. and as opposed to like oh I really liked this. There I put it up on the wall. I, I think it's more just kind of like oh well I found this that would that would go there. Or do you think they had someone do it for? Them? Could be. Because the thing is, we don't know what Helen does. She comes from an independently wealthy family. We don't know if she's just like purely, you know, philanthropic or if she actually has a career. So it's possible that she designed all this herself. If she is, if if this represents one person's coherent single vision for how to decorate an apartment, then this is the first time where I feel like I have to perhaps cast a little bit of shade on Helen Kimball. Because <laughs> there's some crazy aesthetic choices being made. In I'm trying to decide what the painting is beside Merida. It, yeah. um, I'm guessing it is um, a caterpillar uh, being put into its, um, what do you call it, when they become a butterfly? Chrysalis? chrysalis. Yeah, it's putting put it into its, it's either entering into or emerging from its chrysalis. That's what I'm guessing. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's out of focus. I actually think it's a portrait of someone else. It's possible, but I prefer my theory, my headcanon. There you go. <laughs> Anybody have any other notes about the action in this much discussed minute? Um, no, I mean we we talked about it briefly, but it did it did bring me back, uh, you know, both pleasant and unpleasant way to hear the you left the phone off the hook sound. Oh, oh at the very beginning. Another thing, I was like, I guess that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, like actually hanging up a phone doesn't exist. Yeah, unless you have an office phone. Right. And we're going to see, yeah, so we're going to see on Monday some some very sinister phone hanging up mm. from our assailant. Mark Lumsing. <laughs> I mean, Roger and I have mentioned in a previous minute as well how different this movie's, how the, how the story would have to be very different for this movie in today's, today's technology, like cell phones and GPS and all that kind of thing. With the internet, like, you know, we saw it recently, we're dating when we're recording this podcast, but like the escaped felon in Pennsylvania, how the media was involved in, you know, okay. finding that, uh, that felon and all that kind of thing. So be a very different movie today, I think. Yeah. I, um, you, you, I've been leaning on this crutch uh, all season on my show, but I, I kind of suggest that maybe one of you should check out the 
There is a novelization of The Fugitive. It's by J.M. Dillard, and it's got 3.72 stars on, on Goodreads right now, so probably not terrible, but it might answer some of our questions here. It might. This is one of these books that comes out after the movie? Someone is novelizing what they've seen? Yes, but often they have like an inside. You know, they're hired by the filmmakers, so they get a little bit of the um, insight. Sometimes they're working off an earlier version of the script, or they can ask, you know, the... the screenwriter or whatever yeah quite often they'll flesh out sort of like details that they had to kind of skim over in the movies that would be fascinating because like we said this this what we see on screen here bears very little resemblance to what is in any script you see in this movie yeah so it would yeah. we, we could definitely out the author of that novel and sort of figure out at what point they were given a copy of the movie based on what we see here um so Says a novel by J.M. Dillard, who that's a, a she's a Star Trek author too. She's written a bunch of Star Trek books. Um, based on the screenplay by Jeb Stewart and David Tui. Tu- Tui? Tui. 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 That's Tui. right. Tui. That's right. Yeah. So it, so it uh, from a story by David Tui and and based on characters created by Roy Huggins. Right. Um, and so it does. It, it. I'm assuming would be would have some stuff either from earlier drafts or maybe goes deeper into some stuff. So that would be interesting. I mean, because they're not going to pin you into reading a book, but there are some major plot changes. Um, Not major. Uh, Well, one of them. So, you know, spoiler alert for next week. The outcome of this trial was a hotly contested uh, subject of debate among the people making the movie. Um, So we will talk about that next week. I'm assuming that. Well, actually, you know what? Now that you've got me motivated to do this, Pete, maybe I'll try to see if I can get my hands on a copy of that, and we can start to dig into and see what's different and what's the same. Unsurprisingly, they're not uh, expensive. <laughs> they're not. It's not expensive to get the. No, you can get them for you know for four dollars. Oh well, I mean sometimes they're so that's true. Sometimes lightly regarded that let's just say copies of them are rare and few and far between. Yeah. Like, I, I am still dying to get my hands on a copy of the novelization of Roadhouse, which I know exists out there, hmm. um, but uh, it still eludes me. One of these days. One of these days. Well, Pete, I'm, I'm really sorry to say this might be our last chance to talk with you. Who knows? Maybe we'll get a chance to talk to you later in the movie. But if this is our last time on our Friday shows, and I'm actually going to ask you to kind of dig back through your memories, are there any other parts of the movie that really, that kind of, when you, let me put it this way, when you remembered that this in fact was a movie that you had seen, what were the parts of the movie that kind of sprang to mind? Like, what are the parts of The Fugitive that stick out for you that either you especially enjoy or just are especially memorable? If you weren't on for this week, what else would you think about most fondly? Um, I, I feel like it's a, it's a, it's a cop out because it's the main, it's the, the only, not the only, but it's the, the kind of main point of reference that people make to this is that part in the end where they're kind of coming out of the, the water, the, tunnel thing and and he's uh got him on the edge of the thing and he and, and harrison ford to, or sorry i mean richard kimball is like you know protesting his innocence tommy lee jones this is i think this is he's had a long and storied career but i feel like this is where we got tommy lee jones from this is where he like ascended right from well he won an oscar he won an oscar for this role oh yeah they're saying and this yeah. is where people were just like oh yeah that guy he can be in the he can be in the the upper echelon the top tier club yeah um, because I feel like, you know, again, he's he's long career and he's been in good stuff. But then I feel like then this, everybody was like, oh, let's put that guy in more stuff. He's good. 
Yeah, that that's an iconic scene. It's funny you should bring that up. I mean, that's that's not a climactic scene in the movie, too. Like we're gonna we're gonna get to that movie before we're gonna get to those minutes um before we even get halfway through the movie. Right. Wow. There, right. There's two thirds of movie after that, because then, you know, we have to come back to Chicago. Okay. It's so amazing to me that Tommy Lee Jones doesn't appear in this movie until minute twenty one. Yeah. Um, what else? Any, anything else that springs to mind? Uh, any other sort of thoughts you have about the fugitive before we sadly have to say goodbye? Um, no, sadly, I mean, just the, the 40, 30 years of fog have, have uh, robbed me of any further recollection other than just kind of, uh, what we, what we've discussed already, but maybe now I'll, maybe I'll go read that up. I'll be in. You well, want to know the details. You want to know the all the mysteries themselves. Yeah, well, I want to see if they figure out. I want to a figure out what game it is. I want to see <laughs> what, you know what she does, what their cat's name is. You know, all these mm-hmm. all these things. I bet the cat's name is in there. No, we'll have to see. Yeah, you know, in in a in a book, we can get more of the different characters' uh, inner monologues. Maybe maybe we can maybe we can find out more about sort of what's going on in the mind of Doctor Charles Nichols, um, or uh, or Cosmo. I would love to hear. So that's um, so Joe Pantoliano is in this movie, Pete. All right. I don't know if you remember that. He plays uh, Tommy Lee Jones's sidekick, so to speak, um, and he's great. Uh, but we don't, we don't, we don't get enough of what's inside the mind of Cosmo. So that would always be mm-hmm. something I would sign up for. <laughs> Maybe he's the narrator. You never know. That would be fantastic. <laughs> that's worth more dollars, right there. Yeah. Really would. Um, well, Pete, uh, I I just want to say thank you again. It's so great to have you on for this week. I feel like you've you've helped launch our podcast. You know, we've escaped uh, Earth's orbit. We're gonna head out into space now. Um, for the last time, um, can you remind our listeners um, where they can get more of you on the internet? I'm sure they want more at this point. Do they? There's a lot of me out there. I don't know, but um, if you do, uh, um, StarWarsMinute.com. Uh, is is mainly we do you know five days a week and then uh, weekend shows are available to our Patreon supporters, um, and um, yeah, the ABCDTOS could be stuff coming soon uh, depending on schedules and what have you. Well, we're talking it out. And both podcasts have a great Facebook communities as well. Oh yeah, thanks. Go the uh, Star Wars Minute Listener Society and uh, the ABCDTOS briefing briefing room. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I set up a link for ABCDTOS.com slash Facebook, but StarWarsMinute.com slash Facebook definitely gets you to the Listener Society. So, um, yeah, check, check us out. We're, there. We're, we're out there. We search for 1,500 odd episodes out there somewhere. <laughs> I encourage all of you to do that. Um, and who knows if there are any Star Wars uh minute fans there you know spread the word about this podcast if 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 a tenth of the people who listen to star wars minute came and listened to us that would probably double our subscribers at this point so we're very excited about um making a connection with you once again thank you so much again um i guess it's it's time to say goodbye um thank you once again for listening to another episode of the one arm minute please if you can rate and review us on your favorite podcatching app Uh, We will read any five-star reviews right here on the podcast. Come and join us on Facebook at Tempest Fugitive, the One-Armed Minute search team. We are also on the social media network formerly known as Twitter at One-Armed Minute. And you can email us at onearmedminute at gmail.com. So remember, until next time, I didn't kill my wife. Yeah, I do not. (laughs) 
<laughs> hey, goodbye. <laughs>